Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Here, so good to see you guys. You can say the same thing back if you want. Gosh, all right, it's going to be like that. It's going to be a long morning here. Be a long morning. You know, so next week is a big football game, and I hear through the grapevine that if the Chiefs win, revival is going to break out. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard these rumors. <laughs> Apparently, there's, there's, a, there's a prophet, Bob Jones, he died a few years back, but <laughs> he said several years ago, when the Chiefs win the World Series, they're the, I'm sorry, the World Series, I, this shows you how much I know about sports, <laughs> With the World Cup, <laughs> when the Chiefs, whatever. When they, when they win the Super Bowl, people, when they win the Super Bowl, said when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, revival is coming, right? God is releasing his Chiefs, and we're like, okay, cool. So um, that's good news for the Chief fans in the room. There are a couple of them. There are a couple of them here. And we'll bring an end to that segment and move on. I'm just joking. It should be fun. Um, Hey guys, I'm excited to open up the Word this morning. You guys doing well? You guys ready to get into the, the Scripture this morning? Okay. Um, so I just want to welcome you into the conversation. Uh, if you've been out the last couple weeks, um, you may have, maybe it's been spotty, maybe caught a couple of the messages, but we've been in a conversation, a sermon series called Reorient. And the whole idea is, is, is this, this place of turning towards God. And the, the, the subtitle we have is Aligning with the King in His Kingdom. And, and uh, if you've been a part, you know that we've been exploring the story of Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And how Josiah, when he became a king, he actually went against the grain of what the other kings had done before them. Out of all the kings, there was a few that were good. Josiah was one of them in particular. And, uh, and, and when he became king at eight years old, it says that he turned his heart towards God. His heart was turned towards the God of his father, David. And as he did that, it, it had an effect. It had a manifestation on the way he led and the outcome of the people of Israel, ultimately. And then it said as he became king and he turned towards the Lord, he, he went throughout the land. And he took responsibility for all these idols that had been erected to all these other gods. And he said those aren't going to be able to stay because we are serving, we are turning our hearts towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are turning our hearts towards Yahweh, and he will have his rightful place here, right? And so then he, as he did that, he, they, they, they end up discovering the scripture again and, and opening it up. And as they read the words of scripture, it did something to their hearts. Because how many of you know you can't encounter God without a rending of your heart taking place? There is something about encountering the holiness and the beauty and the pure love and light of God, the majesty of God, that it has an effect on us. You can't just waltz into the presence of God without being changed from the inside out. And that's what he did, and he, he tore his garments, and he just realized, we, we have a ways to go. We're gonna turn our hearts back towards God. And so he gathered the people, great and small, it says, and he pulled them in. And, and they consecrated themselves to the Lord. And it's just this really beautiful story. It's really beautiful picture, you know, um, for us. We come to times in life where we hit transition points. Or we come to times in, where we come, times in life where we come to the end of ourselves, 
How many of you have ever come to the end of yourself? You're asking different questions when you come to the end of yourself. The things that had worked before, the things that had made promises to you, and you realize those things run dry and you come to the end of yourself, there's something, there's a a different kind of prayer you pray at this point in time, and this is what we read, and we don't have to wait, fortunately, we don't have to wait until disaster strikes or we hit the crisis moment. We actually have the ability to choose, to choose to turn our hearts towards God. And that's the invitation of the season. That's the invitation for us as a church. And I think it's a broader invitation for the rest of the church. And so that's where we've been at. And last week we talked specifically about, about what that looks like for us to, to turn towards God, not only God, but the presence of God, orienting our lives around the voice, the abiding in the voice and the words of Jesus. How many of you guys know that the words of Jesus are bread for our soul, bread for our spirit? Where else would we go but the words of Jesus? And, and so we, we talked a little bit last week about reorienting our lives around his presence, which is not a new conversation for us, but it is something that we, that we should choose to do in a culture, again, as just as Josiah, uh, you know, he, he had to take survey of the land and start to tear down these high places that were built up to other gods. And in the same way as we orient our lives towards God, we get to evaluate the things in our life that are set up to, that, that compete with the glory of God. And so we abide in the presence of God in the middle of like this massive secularist, humanist culture that teaches us to rely on ourselves for everything. We say, God, you are our hope, you are our anchor, you are a firm foundation. There's not just pretty words that we sing, it's reality, right? And so this morning I wanna continue the conversation, pivot a little bit, still in the same vein of where we're at, but part of what we're doing is, is we're learning to reorient around the things that, that are on God's heart, the things that, that, that God says matter to his heart. And, and we know that's not only abiding in presence, but it's also growing into God's family. And it's, it's, it's in this story as well. Josiah, he could have just turned to the Lord himself and said, you know what? You know, you deal with the people yourself, right? You, f- you figured out, you know, like these people are, are screwed up. How about God, you just, I'm gonna get right with you. They can do what they're gonna do. No, he, he, he used his own transition to invite other people in. Why? Because of God's promise. You, how many of you know that all throughout scripture, all throughout history, what God has been doing is shaping for himself and making for himself a people for his own possession? And through the Old, the Old Testament, we read that this had to do largely with the nation of Israel and he's preserving them and protecting them and leading them and shepherding them. He was their king. He was the one who was, uh, was, was forming them into a people, not so that it would be the end of the story, but ultimately so that through Israel, all of the nations of the earth would come to know the, the saving grace of God, of Jesus Christ, that, that none would perish on anywhere on earth. It, wasn't, it was about Israel, but it was about more than Israel. And what I love is that, that that theme continues as we get ushered into a new covenant when Jesus, through his, the shedding of his blood, his, his life, death, and resurrection, he would come and he would bring a fulfillment of this promise of God making for himself a people. That the church, that the church would become God's people. And here's what, here's what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter two. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
that beautiful? That you are a people, we are a people, the person sitting next to you and you and the other, the, the dude across the room, all of us, all right? We're, we're a people. God is making us a new people, a holy nation, not just so we can say, hey, look at this. We got, we got, we got cool t-shirts and we got the hat and we got the pin that says we're a people. So that, what? We may proclaim what? Come on, guys, wake up. The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, somebody say amen right there. And so this theme continues all throughout the New Testament that God is doing something, and yes, it involves people and individuals, but it involves, it involves what he's doing in a collective. So much so that in Ephesians chapter 3, it even say that this hidden mystery, what has been hidden for the ages, has now been made clear that through the manifold wisdom of God, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and principalities and heavenly places. So something shocking took place with Christ, so much so that all the spirit, it says all the spiritual forces, it's kind of weird, but all the spiritual forces and cosmic places are looking in and saying, holy smokes, did you see what's happening? Surely Jesus is the son of God because God has made the Jew and Greek together. He's made slave and free together. He's made male and female. The races come together in Christ, all become one, amen? And this is what he's doing, and this, this is the good news, and it gets embodied in the church. That's why God cares so much, not just about your personal walk with God. Yes, the cosmos, yeah, the spiritual forces are freaked out when you're crushing it, you know, when you're doing really well, and you're walking with the Lord, and that's a beautiful thing, but the scripture's really clear. What, what, what makes you know, where the exclamation point is, is when the people learn how to be a new kind of people. And so the scripture refers to all this as, in many different ways, but in the New Testament, one of the phrases we, we use for this is the family of God, because the Father adopts us into his family. The spirit of adoption has called us in, and by which we cry, Abba, Father. And so we come in to the new family of Jesus, and we actually get reparented into a new family dynamic. And we talked about this a while back last year. But it's, it's just worth mentioning again. Because all of us come from different family backgrounds, right? And that's a little dicey, all right? We're not going to have you share your story because chances are um, it, it would be uncomfortable. Uh, you know, just because we all go through so many different types of things. Probably, I think statistically, less than half of us are in what we would call traditional um, the nuclear families, and that's been our experience, and it's even more and more so that what a family actually is seems to be shifting and changing, and nobody entirely knows what to expect. And so the good news is, as the father adopts us into his family, he actually, he actually comes in and through the Holy Spirit starts to remind us of everything that Jesus began to say and do, and he reminds us of his heart of Jesus' words. Why? So he can shape us and form us and reparent us into, you know, this is what my family is going to be like. And so God is at work discipling us, leading us. So that as a family, as he shapes us into a family, we begin to relate to each other like the Father and the Son and the Spirit relate to each other. And I'm just going to tell you right now, they're kind of into each other. They're just, they're, it's happening, man. The family of God, the, the initial family of God, that's what we've been adopted into. The perichoresis, as some people would call the Trinity, which means the divine dance. 
We've been invited into a divine dance of the Trinity. So we become a people, and even Jesus would say that this new spiritual identity, that blood is thicker than water, and, and, and what he would say is that the spiritual identity of this new family is actually more potent than our biological families, not to dismiss our biological families. Our biological families are huge and massive and important, but it's all part of a larger picture of what God is pulling us into. Yes? So while you, I have an individual relationship with God, which is awesome and we all need that, um, here's the problem. We live in a time in history where we have a few distinct challenges as it relates to becoming a people, okay? And I already named one of them. One of them is what we'd call the breakdown of, a f- of the family context. And so especially in the West, uh, we know less and less what it means to be given to each other. So around the world, there's other co- tribes and cultures where you know, it's still more or less a, a very uh, familial culture where, where family and, and giving your life and laying your life down for one another, that's, that's still kind of like in the, in the thread of, of, of how they live and it's in the dominant culture. And more and more in the culture we live in, we are actually swimming upstream to even talk like this, okay? And specifically, um, specifically, one of the things that contends against us becoming a people as God is shaping us into the family of God, one of the things that contends against this is this massive idea that has really taken a, a firm root, especially in the West and in the time we live in, and I just call it individualism. And what it is, it is a trend towards self-reliance, independence, and personal preference, okay? And the reason we have to talk about this is because this is a high place. And if we're ignorant of this place, we won't be able to see it actually robbing us from the blessing of the family of God. Okay? So I'm going to build this out for a second. Um, and it's kind of weighty stuff. I get that. You know? Um, but again, as a people, we have to know what God is building and what's contending against us so that as a people we can lean in it to and turn towards the purposes of God in our day, in our generation. Amen? So individualism, a trend towards self-reliance, independence, personal preference, it's preferring the needs of the individual over the community. The promise of this idol, you can call it an idol, the promise of this idol, every idol has a promise to you and it usually works out for a little bit, okay? Usually works out just for a little bit. They can never fulfill the ultimate promise. But the promise of individualism is the good life will come if you look out for number one. The good life is going to, if you just look out for number one, if you defend number one, if you build your life around number one, which is me, if I just do that, the good life is somewhere on the horizon. The grass is going to be greener the more I build my personal empire, right? And so here's, here's the thing. Hang with me here. This idea, what we don't know, is this is reinforced all throughout culture. And we're in a political season. I'm not getting it. I don't want to get super deep into this right now, but we're gonna, you can see this on both sides of the aisle right now, okay? So the political right, there's this notion, um, obviously, like, it's, it's turned into, it reinforces the idea of individualism through this idea of you can build the life, you can be a self-made person, 
uh, namely through, through capitalism, through, through business, and those things are not bad per se, but ha- how many of you guys ever watched Shark Tank, the show Shark Tank? I love that show. But one of the funny things that you watch over and over, what do they celebrate? They celebrate the person that came in and they were a self-made person, right? You did it. You, you lived the American dream because you came from scraps and you built your, you left, every, you know, all of these things that held you back and you built something for yourself. So now that you can make a name for yourself, right? And so it's the celebration of you go do it, you go achieve, you self-actualize the dream that has been on your heart from the beginning. Again, there's not, I'm not saying that that's all inherently bad, but what's interesting is this. You look on the political left, and a lot of the messaging, a lot of the, the, the impetus, and listen, we, we know across the room you're on all sides. And, so, and I love that. I love that we're a mix because it shows that the love of Jesus can actually bring us together, okay? It's actually a really good thing that we don't agree on everything, all right? Really good thing. But on the political left, um, you have some other ideas, and it has to do with shedding off false constructs that would limit us, namely external identities that we didn't decide on on our own, okay? And we're going to see this in almost every sphere of life, and it comes to marriage, and it comes to gender, sexuality, uh, when it comes to anything, uh, essentially the, 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 the messaging has to do with your freedom is going to come when you, when you slough off anything that anybody would impose upon you and you, you, and you realize your own identity that whatever you feel is true is for you. And so can you guys see this? On both sides, the, while everybody, the, the whole country is convinced that we're against each other, surprisingly, on this one issue, everyone is building towards the same climax. Build the life of your dreams and slough off everything that doesn't feel right to you, which all goes back to the same goal of look out for number one. The good life will come if you just protect and defend yourself above all odds. Okay? You guys following me? Okay. <clears throat> so... And so we have to understand that. We have to understand the messaging because that's shaping us as well. And it's even coming to the church. And this is, this is why Jesus' words, um, G- when, we, when we read Jesus' words, uh, there's, there's sometimes that they just, they cut in just the right way, okay? Let me just throw this out there. If Jesus agrees with you about everything, um, you, might need, you might be reading your Bible wrong. Okay, if Jesus agrees with all of your politics, there's something you're missing. Okay, and so Jesus says these things that like, we don't like, okay, I'm gonna skip through that one really quick. Let's get to the, let's get to the really nice stuff, the loving stuff. But then he says stuff like this in Matthew 16. He says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And so this, 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 this passage, and, and uh, we, we tend, you know, as, as Protestants and evangelicals, we tend to like, we like the resurrection side of things. We don't like the kind of walking to Golgotha side of things. Let's just get through that. Jesus did that for us so we don't have to do that. No, that's not how it works. In fact, the whole Christian life is a cycle of death and resurrection. It's a cycle of death and resurrection. It doesn't mean that you're dying Jesus' death. He, di- he died your death for you, but he invites you into a way where through our lives, we actually have to, con- he confronts the place, our false identities, puts it to death so that we can live in our truest selves in him. 
And so to ignore death is just foolish. I'm just telling you right now, it's just totally foolish. And so we don't dwell, like, it's not like we're just dwelling on, we're just gonna deny ourselves and just get miserable and the Christian life is about being as miserable as we can because that's when God is happy. That's not what we're talking about, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But Jesus' words here are very stern because he's saying, listen, if you're going to spend your life preserving your life, if you're going to spend your time and your energy preserving your life, that's your surest way to lose it and to find an early death. But whoever would take up his cross, if you want to follow Jesus, come and follow me, take up your cross, it has to do with, with there is a denying of yourself to follow into the way of Jesus because that's where life is, is best lived. Now, uh, recently uh, I came across a, a beautiful metaphor <clears throat> in a book called Reappearing Church by author Mark Sayers. You know, he's a pastor in Australia. Um, him and John Mark Comer, are, uh, they host a beautiful podcast called This Cultural Moment, which some of the themes that I'm talking about are actually in this podcast. It's really great. Um, but he, brings, uh, he, he, bring, he brought a really poignant illustration about the time that we're living in. And again, this is about the shaping of who we are as people. And so he, he brought an illustration that said, listen, for... For all humans uh, and all societies, we need three basic components. We probably need more than that, but at least these three for human flourishing. One of them is meaning. Basically, we have to know that our lives are going to, towards things that matter. So what, it's a really important principle for human flourishing, for you as a person, for any society, <clears throat> that you have to know that your work actually matters towards something, that your family, like the things that you're giving yourself to matters towards something. And, and you'll find that when you stop feeling that, it feels like sometimes life grates against you when you don't have a sense of, does any of this actually matter towards something bigger than myself, right? The second thing he pointed out was this need for belonging. Knowing and being known by others. It's a basic human need, okay, of, of having relationships that are deep, deep-spirited relationships, just a sense of being known. And then the third thing he mentioned <clears throat> was freedom. Human beings need to be free. Liberty from tyranny and oppression, right? It's, it's, a, re, it's a really basic thing. These things are, are very fundamental for a sense, of, uh, a sense of well-being, both societally and individually. Here's the, thing, here's the interesting thing, though. In our society especially in the West, um, our bucket of meaning is actually very low. And so there's many that would describe their, their day or their life as mundane or not actually contributing to much, okay? And the second bucket be the bucket of belonging. And this as well, when you look statistically, Societally, the bucket of belonging is actually pretty low. It's, it's, we're considered one of the loneliest times in history. The illusion of connection has run its course, and people are freaking out because they realize the promise of connection actually isn't producing the type of fruit that I, I think I'm craving on the inside. Have you guys ever felt that? And we feel it in the church, too. This isn't like, we're a part of this, right? Um, and so, 
that's difficult, and, and some would even say that loneliness is actually one of the, one of the leading causes of death and, and, um, and illness around the world. Like, the feeling of isolation actually is, is a health epidemic. And so, loneliness is an all-time high, and belonging is a difficult thing. But what, what's interesting, with, when you talk, start talking about freedom, Around the world, there's some societies that in order to produce well-being, they need more freedom. They're, they're like literally under oppression. They're being told what they can do or not do. There's no personal autonomy to decide or to choose religion or, any, or anything, really. There's, there's just this inherent tyrannical um, covering over them. And so they actually need breakthrough as it relates to freedom and you know, to loose the chains of slavery. What's really interesting, though, in the West we have the opposite problem. Our freedom bucket is not just full, but the thing is our lives, we have more options than any other time in human history. We have more freedom than we know what to do with, and what's happening is our freedom bucket is so full that it's starting to overflow in every possible way. And part of that is because we wrongly define freedom, okay? We think that freedom is the ability to do whatever the heck you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. That's kind of how we define freedom. But classically, the, the idea of freedom is not defined in that, and we'll see here in a second. Freedom is, design, is, is, is freedom from external oppression, but it's also freedom from internal oppression. It's actually freedom from the passions of your own art and the self-indulgences that so easily grip our heart. So oftentimes what happens in our culture is because our freedom bucket is so full and we've been taught that the key to happiness is we need more and more freedom. We need to be able to do more of what we want in order to achieve the good life. So what happens is anything that impedes upon that freedom, anything that, anything that maybe takes away options from us, it actually feels like, it feels like death, right? And I'll give you a couple examples of that. We see this in a fear of commitment because if I commit to something, it means I can't do other things, right? And, and, and you look statistically, this isn't just in the church, and all around society, volunteerism is like, is really low in almost every kind of nonprofit or any humanitarian thing. Uh, volunteerism is really low. Why? Because volunteering is about giving yourself to some, actually committing yourself to at specific times and places, which means that you can't do something else, which would impede upon your freedom, uh, impede upon your freedom to build the life that you want. Marriage, like, gen, like the next generation, is not getting married at the same rates as previous generations. Why? Because married, marriage is seemed, it, 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 it is now seen as a binding commitment that generally is unnecessary for human flourishing. Okay, that's the way, that's the way like the new generations are seeing. Like why even bother to commit myself for life to another person because that's only gonna limit my options to do what I want to do, okay? Have you guys noticed that? Even, even when it comes to like church life, uh, more and more as technology advances, showing up to a gathering like this or getting together with other believers at a single time in a single place sometimes feels too limiting and many would rather opt for the live stream, right? 
because the options, you can do it whenever you want, wherever you want, and you don't actually have to be there. So you offer a live stream and call it church. And I, I talk to a lot of friends and believers, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not coming down by the, I'm not like, this isn't meant to be like, you know, guilt and shame. I'm just saying this is part of the, the reality that we live in. We live in a time where we'd prefer to podcast or live stream something because it requires less of us, right? And it, it just continues to go. And, and basically, we see that anything that limits our options as an assault against freedom, okay? But the thing is, like, the, the living in an option, option, you know, drenched world it's not, you know, it's not all unicorns and ponies and sprinkles and rainbows and all the stuff, right? It's not as good as it sounds sometimes. In fact, it's really paralyzing. Uh, I remember several years ago, uh, over a decade ago, we had an African pastor come in. You guys know Willie Ruminera. He came to the United States for the first time. And I remember his comment after going to the grocery store. He came in and uh, he went to an American grocery store. And he got back in the car and he says, I get it. And we're like, what? He's like, I get why you guys are so worried about everything. And we're like, why? He's like, because in Africa, there's only one kind of milk. He's like, here in the United States, there's 25 kinds of milk. And you have to stand in front of the refrigerator <laughs> for 15 minutes to pick the right one. It's got to be the right brand, the right percentage. And now we're even talking about dairy and almond and soy. It's like you pick whatever product you want and you got to pick the right one. He's like, I, I get it now. This makes so much sense why you guys are paralyzed and you're anxious and everything is starting to confront because of these options. Now, it doesn't necessarily make it bad to live in a day where you can get everything within two days on your front porch. Like, I take advantage of that. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Thank you, Netflix. I can watch anything I want. I just click this and it just appears magically, right? So we live in a day where just like, I mean, it's never been better on, on some levels. It's never been better on those levels. But the promise the promise coming from culture of just, if, if, if you want to overcome some of these other pangs of life, all you need to do is we just have to get more, you have to be able to design your life more the way you want it, exactly the way you want it, in your control and in your preference, and that's going to be the key. But again, when we submit ourselves to the way of Jesus, there's another idea here. Galatians. 5, 13 through 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this temptation to preserve to draw in is something we all face. It's something I face. You know, as you can imagine, like even, you know, you pastoring over a certain amount of time, like over, I, I, I'm grateful that like the majority of my adult life I've been able to serve here and I love you guys. I love you guys so much and it's been a joy. It's a privilege and honor to serve you. But, you know, a, again, in a moment of vulnerability, what, over time, there's times that come where there's those thoughts that come like, gosh, there's a lot of things I could be doing right now like, there's maybe, maybe there's other things I could be doing. What if I go do this and this? It would be a lot less heartache. It'd be a lot less, like, mental or emotional stress. 
I could, I could like do some things and maybe like take regular like weekends and do that kind of thing. And, and my, my, my imagination starts to go like, oh, I, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. That's an option for me. And God probably wouldn't be mad at me for doing that, right? So I can kind of, I start to follow that. Again, until I come back and I submit myself back to the presence of the Father and I see the love he has for his church, the love he has for his people, his desire to raise up a generation that is moving out in love. And I'm confronted with him and his words says, you know, son, you're right where you're supposed to be. Keep pouring yourself out, right? And it's words that have come to me, and I think they're words that have come to you as well. If you've ever questioned what you're doing, am I giving too much? Am I pouring too much of myself out? Here's how, the, here's how Galatians is put in the message. You'll love this. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. And so, to the writers of scripture, the way of Jesus, what, he, what they would say, if you, want to, if you want your relationships to flourish, if you want to see more meaning in your life, and you, we actually have to do something different. We have to take the freedom that we've been given instead of using it for ourselves. We actually, if we want to see these other buckets grow, we actually pour out some of our freedom into serving and giving ourselves to things that matter, to things, to others. And where the world is actually telling us, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Save, 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 preserve, 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 defend, defend, defend. It's about you, it's about you, it's about you. The way of Jesus says, no, if you want to find your life, Lay it down for your brother. If you want to see the church flourish, we lay our lives down for each other. We see love explode so that we can give out. And that is what the world needs to see. First <laughs> John 16-17, this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrif- sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not to just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears and you made it disappear. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, do that one for your, you know, your weekly, your daily devotional tomorrow. But this, again, is how we see the early church explode, and I don't have time to get into this, but when you look at Acts and Acts 2.42, as they start devoting themselves to one another in Acts 2.42, they're devoting themselves to one another. They're giving themselves to one another. They're practicing. They're, they're praying together. They're receiving communion with glad and sincere hearts. They're receiving the apostles' teaching. They're going through the things together, and then the verse breaks, and it said, and then awe came upon every soul. It wasn't the, what they were doing that had the significance. It was the fact, it was the quality of love that they were pouring into each other. 
And that's what caused all to be filled with every soul among them and for those looking out from the outside in. And that's the same love that causes all the cosmos to look in and say, surely Jesus is the Son of God because of how much they give themselves to each other. So a couple applications, and we're going to receive communion together. The body and the blood of Jesus that brings all things together. So a couple applications um, in, in the middle of this. First of all, I love that so many of you are thriving in this area. I just want to point this out. What I love about this church, there's, there's, there's so many of you that you're giving yourself away selflessly and we're all better for it. Every time you gather here, you're coming, you're coming to the saints. You're coming to each other with bright eyes, full hearts. And, and I love that it, what that does is it creates a culture here where, where we're praying, we're serving, we're preferring one another, we're laying down our life to serve. And, and not only are we bearing the fruit, but I know that you're bearing the fruit because I can see it in your eyes when you come and you're just like, I am sheer because God has done such a work in my life that I am, the, the only thing I know what to do is just to lay myself down. So whatever you need, I am here to serve and to make this place and make this body as healthy and vibrant as I possibly can. I love that. And to you, I would say, keep going. This is what, this is what we need to see. This is what the world needs to see. Poured out people in the name of Jesus. Amen? Some of you have been craving to be a part of deeper, deeper, meaningful relationships, especially in the church, but there have been obstacles in the way. And you, I know that some of you have been crying out for deeper connection, but you found it hard to cultivate those kinds, kinds of relationships in our culture. And, and maybe your, your situation, maybe there's health challenges, there's distance challenges, like where you live. There's maybe scheduling challenges if you, have, if you work in weird hours. And sometimes there's things that just like, it is in your heart. Like I want to be with others in homes and breaking bread. I want to, to, I want to serve more. I want to, I want to be a part. I want to help things flourish. But that's been hard. And, and for you, I would say this. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Keep pressing in. Keep believing that that's what God wants. That that is part of what he's doing in your life. There's a reason that that desire is there. Do not give up on that desire just because it's been hard to find that. Okay? And then there's others here. Maybe you're here and you've been at Vine Life for a while, but you're still um, what we could call at arm's length. You love coming for worship and teaching when you can, but you haven't yet crossed over into the greater levels of community and relationship. Possibly because you know this would require more of yourself than you want to give. And maybe you're hoping to participate just enough to, you know, to check the box and do, you know, do what everybody tells you you're supposed to do, but, but not enough for that authentic community. Or potentially you're holding back because you know you would have to say no to other opportunities in, in order to say yes to, to really key relationships and to building up the church. And if that's you, and if you know that's you, I just want to say this. You were made for this. You were made to pour yourself out. We need you. We need you. The world needs you. The world needs what God has put inside of you to just press in, to build relationship, to go beyond what's convenient, to go beyond what's comfortable, to invite people to your dinner table, to not wait for everybody else to do it for you, but to initiate, to pull people in, to come. And when there's volunteer opportunities, I mean, even ministries at the church, even like Jeanette's take, we have this welcome thing, and it's just a, it's a way for us to organize ourselves around being, becoming a people of love, that when people come in, they can sense love and 
celebration and honor, and that's what we want. And I'm saying, like, listen, if you've been at arm's length because you know that, like, that's just been comfortable, I'm just, I'm just telling you, your best life is going to be when you press in, when you start responding to the way of Jesus to give yourself away at all new measures. You were made for this. Serve, give, love. This is Christ's body. This is his plan. Yeah? Okay, one more. One more passage, and then we're going to receive communion together. And I'm going to have Ed come up to, to pray for us and lead us in this time. This is 1 John 3, 23. So these are his commands that we continually place our trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we keep loving one another just as he commanded us. For all who obey his commands find their lives joined in union with him, and he lives and flourishes in them. We know and have proof that he constantly lives and flourishes in us by the spirit that he has given us. Yeah. Amen. Ed, would you come up? Uh, What I'm going to ask you to do, if you wouldn't mind, uh, first is come up and get the elements, um, and then if you can, uh, find a seat kind of down in here. Uh, let's and then go back to those seats, if you can, if you're willing. So just come and grab the elements, please. And if you don't want to sit down here, that's okay, but I'm just try to get close to each other a little bit. So, good morning. 
morning. Uh, as we prepare for communion, I'd like to read a few scriptures, a few verses from 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to read it in three different translations, New King James, New American Standard, and the Message. And I invite you as you hold the elements to just close your eyes and listen, and um, just listen quietly. This is the New King James Version. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. New American Standard. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Out of the message, I assume I'm addressing believers who are mature. Draw your own conclusions. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with a loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there's one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. So we are the body of Christ. Communion is the expression and the remembrance of that. We and him, he and us, both individually and corporately. We who are many are one body. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Please eat and drink in the truth of that today. And I bless you in the name of Christ to let the truth of the oneness, the mystery of God, the fear of the Lord. Uh, it's an awesome thing that he would bring us into wholeness and unity with him. It's beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding. But I bless you, I bless me, uh, to let it all the way in, spirit, soul, and body today. So eat, drink, and be merry. stand together.
I just want to bless you. As we end our time, we're going to have some words on the screen for healing prayer. Come up front. Get, get, uh, get prayer from some of our uh, ministry team, and we want to bless you and, and agree with healing in your body, if that's what you need. Also, you can come and talk about anything, any questions you have, anything on your heart uh, that you want to just talk to somebody about. These are going to be safe uh, people for you as they come. Um, the rest of you, I uh, just want to encourage you, go in the, the peace and the strength of the kingdom, but as you go, don't, don't feel the need to rush out. You feel free to meet some people you haven't met yet, introduce yourself, uh, invite them out to lunch even, um, and just let's just uh, go knowing that God is making us into a people of love, and so just be blessed in that, be blessed with the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.